This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Long before brands and influencers were worried about Instagram's intricate algorithms or how to increase engagement, today's guest, Amanda Slavin, was a hop, skip and jump ahead of the curve. After experiencing multiple identity crises, Amanda Slavin learned that the only opinion that mattered was hers and hers alone. With brains, heart, and hustle, Amanda developed the seventh level engagement framework and has since made a name for herself as a marketing strategist and brand engagement expert. By thinking differently about the way people connect with each other, Amanda's award-winning company, Catalyst Creative, has helped numerous brands such as Google, Coca-Cola, and WeWork achieve their branding goals. I'm thrilled to be talking to Amanda today about the secret sauce behind growing brand engagement how to connect with others, and how we can find our own identity. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these Forbes 30 Under 30 listees. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Amanda Slavin. Amanda, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so pumped to be here. Thank you for having me. I can't wait. Love that. Um, So look, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. For sure. I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to go to New York from Australia. (laughs) I live here. (laughs) 30, short 30 hours. Not bad. (laughs) No, I love it. Brilliant. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I, uh, I was a teacher, so I have a background in education. I have a master's in curriculum and instruction, and I wrote my thesis on something called the seventh level engagement framework. So I developed a way to measure engagement and not many people actually are measuring engagement. This was 10 years ago, so engagement wasn't what it is today. There was no real social media either. So this was really focused on the classroom and what engagement looked like in person. And then I ended up in hospitality, nightlife, uh, <laughs> doing marketing and events. And I said, I, you know, I always say it's not really that much different teaching six-year-olds and dealing with drunk beggars. <laughs> um, they're very actually similar and trying to get their attention. So I ended up using that engagement framework in marketing, branding, 
happening in events and realizing that, you know, human behavior is human behavior. And when you can acknowledge and identify where a person is in the way they're connecting with you, you can walk them through this engagement funnel to kind of figure out whatever you want to sell them, whether mm. it's teaching them how to read or selling them a, you know, corporate open bar package in an event. Um, so after using the engagement framework for evil, um, I decided, <laughs> not really, but I decided to kind of figure out how could I go back to kind of my roots of educating and inspiring. And, you know, I still love branding and events and marketing, but I felt like I was using it, you know, without, you know, the responsibility of recognizing that I know how to make people feel engaged and feel inspired and feel ignited. So how can I do that? with both education, engagement, marketing, branding, and events. And so I started my company, Cattles Creative, seven years ago. Uh, and that's with, I, I met my business partner, Tony Shea, who's the CEO of a company called Zappos. Mm. Um, only in America and some <laughs> in Canada. Um, but it's, it was acquired by Amazon, which everyone knows, including in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> that's all the way down there. <laughs> yes. I think they might have their own delivery to you, right? I assume. Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe soon. Um, but Amazon acquired Zappos and, and Tony was looking to uh, reinvent downtown Vegas. He put $350 million into building a city there. Uh, and if you've ever been to Vegas, this is not the strip. It's kind of the, the older Vegas that really needed some reinventing and reinvigorating. And so I started my company with him with the intention to use downtown Vegas as that first client. So do branding work and experiential work and marketing work, all with the intention to inspire, engage, and educate, you know, the people that not only lived in downtown Vegas, but people that were visiting downtown. And then from there, um, it just snowballed into a full service firm over the past seven years, working with a bunch of different brands, nonprofits, startups. Um, and we're coming up with a book in September all around mm. the engagement framework. So kind of all went full circle. Now I'm using that seventh level engagement framework and educating and inspiring, you know, not only brands, but also just people to think differently about the way we're connecting with each other. Mm. Oh, Amanda, I absolutely <laughs> love it. It's funny because I've obviously read a lot about you and looked into your businesses and, and what you're doing and it's it's so refreshing and so nice to hear it coming back at me now. I'm like, oh, yes, it's all connecting. Yes. I love that. I cannot wait to dive deeper into your work and where you're at with things now. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing and that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life, in mm. your career so far? I love that. Uh, so I grew up in a 6,000-person town in New Jersey. Um, I would say that that had less of an impact on my life than the way I was raised, which were by two New Yorkers who were raised by New Yorkers who were raised by New Yorkers. Wow. <laughs> so it's three generations of New Yorkers. Wow. Um, very intense. But, you know, I think... I had a, an experience where I, I moved three times when I was in high school. Um, so I was in the 6,000-person town for most of my life. And then when I was 16, I moved to another high school. And then I moved to another high school within, you know, two years. And that had a profound impact on me because what happened was, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond in the 6,000-person town. I actually regret usually sharing such a thing. But when my dad told me I was moving when I was 16, I said, you can't make me leave here. I'm a legend, which is terrifying. Um, but with 6,000 people in the whole town, I mean, I think everyone might have been a legend. Um, so when I ended up going to these other high schools, I, you know, I was extremely, I was like a walking yearbook. There was no Facebook, but I knew everyone in that town and I was friends with everyone. And, and then I became this, the new girl and I knew no one. And so much of my identity was rooted in, you know, being popular 
popular and having friends and talking on the phone for seven hours a night. Uh, and so when I moved to these, these other high schools, the first high school, I totally transformed my identity in a lot of ways. You know, I, I changed the way that it was very like hippie. So the first town was something called Jappy, Jewish American princess. I don't know if that's a thing in Australia, <laughs> um, but it's in America. It's like a specific, people who are in America will listen to be like, I know what she's talking yeah. about. Um, and then the next town was very hippie. So I kind of came in and, and the Jewish American princess kind of, again, vernacular is people who are usually on the East Coast and, and kind of really like designer items mm. at a very young ages and, and dress, you know, are really just kind of about what they're wearing and what they're buying. That mm. was kind of the, the thing. And then I go to this town that was very hippie um, and was completely the opposite. And it was a 35,000 person town, totally different. So I totally transformed my identity to fit in. Uh, and I started to listen to Grateful Dead and Pink Floyd and, you know, like wear sweatpants every day. And I just, and I was really lost, you know, I was 16 and, and I didn't have friends. And again, it was my identity. And so then I moved three months later to another town, which was also completely different. And I ended up wearing Birkenstocks, which again, this is, you know, more than 10 years ago, like almost 20 years ago, um, to the, the third school, which was all very much about, again, like makeup and getting your hair done and like wearing very tight jeans. And I was wearing like my sweatpants and Birkenstocks from the second school. And then they were all making fun of me. And I'm like, oh, I can't win. But the third time I actually wrote myself a letter that my mom found. And I, I said, like, I don't, it's not really about what anyone other, what other people think of me. It's about what I think of myself. And if I know who I am, that's all that matters. Um, and at 16, I think that was a lesson that I definitely had to continue to learn, you know, five years later, five years later, even, you know, yesterday. <laughs> um, but it's something that I, I really have, have taken to heart in the fact that, you know, I have to really be my own friend. I have to really respect and honor and love myself. And it seems so easy. It's kind of like what everyone always says, like, love yourself first before you can love anyone else. But it was just so much easier for me to love everyone else around me and put everyone before me. Um, and, you know, that was a, a really impactful experience for me to recognize that I do have to put myself first. Mm. I love it. And I think so many times we don't you know, and I just think that we get caught up. We put family first. We put everything else, our studies, our, our work, our careers first. And we, sometimes we just forget about ourselves, mm -hmm. especially as entrepreneurs, I feel. So that's super interesting. So after that time there when you were, you were struggling with your identity, mm -hmm. you know, and then you, you slowly went to, into university after that college, how did you battle with that when mm. you moved into college? Because that would have been a whole nother identity you had to take on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think I might have fallen back into my old ways in college <laughs> with socializing and putting that as a priority. But the difference that happened from, you know, my, my, when I was, when I was younger in that first school, my mom recounts me being on the call, on calls literally for seven hours a day. So I couldn't get off the phone. I was obsessed with, again, socializing. Mm. Once I left that school, I really put my studies, you know, as a priority. And I realized my potential when it came to, you know, I wasn't really getting excellent grades in that first school because I didn't care. Mm. But once I had no friends, I had nothing <laughs> else to really care about. So I had to kind of, again, focus on myself, which was focusing on my grades 
grades and on excelling in school. And so when I went to college, it really became this merging of the two. And I ended up, you know, it was one of the top, I went to the school because it was one of the top programs for education, for teaching. Um, it was a five-year bachelor master's program. They took 30 students. It's a 15,000 person school. They take 30 students to enter this program as a sophomore. Uh, and then you graduate, you know, one year after with a master. So you instead of two years post. Um, and so I, I made sure I had a 4.0 and all, I had a 4.0. It was very intense. Wow. So I never, you know, I think Jeez. I graduated with, from my master's year with a 3.985 cause I got like one B plus oh. from a professor for one test. I was devastated, but undergrad 4.0, but I also, through a lot of parties in college and, you know, would rent out bars for my birthday, invite every single person I ever knew <laughs> and was kind of known as that, you know, this, this, I was the director of recruitment in my sorority, which is a whole other story about sororities in America. Um, but, you know, I had these two versions of myself mm. that were really, again, trying to, I was trying to figure out, you know, which one would kind of win, if you will. <laughs> um, this idea of like the, the academic, the educator, the, the person that was really, was focused on, you know, bettering myself. Um, and then the other one, which was throwing events and being social and going out a lot. Um, and, and I think, again, it was that, that merge of the two identities that I was trying to figure out throughout those years of college. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we wrestle with these different identities that we have? Like, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who potentially they're in a similar situation or maybe they're just, they've got one identity and they want to change it. You know, what advice would you give? Yeah. So, I mean, throughout college, I was throwing events on the side. So while I was getting my degree in education, I was throwing events to make money um, because it was a, it was something that I realized I was good at and I could make money quickly doing it. Um, And so again, I, I was using these different parts of myself to be able to, you know, continue with my life. You know, some things actually helped me in terms of financially with those events and those parties. Um, And, you know, obviously the academic education aspect of myself really filled me up and inspired me, especially working with children. Um, But I would say now looking back, you know, in my thirties, looking at my, you know, young teenage and 21 year old self that, you know, it wasn't actually like multiple identities trying to fight their way out. That's what I felt at the time. It really was, you know, me and just different extensions and versions of me, but it was always, you know, kind of again, rooted in, in what, uh, who I am and going to the seventh level, which, you know, I can, I can talk about later, but the seventh level is defined as literate thinking. And it's when your personal values and beliefs align with a message, but the engagement framework prior to going through one through seven with someone else, you have to identify what you actually stand for. What are your personal values and beliefs? And, you know, for me, my seventh level statement is this idea of uh, connection and inspiring and educating people. And it's always been about that. So whether that was connection, you know, within a bar or connection within a classroom, it was always about learning about people, getting to know them, um, and and really, again, making some type of difference in their life. Whether that was even just giving them a fun time mm. to, like, just let loose and mm. stop about all of their, you know, stop thinking about all their worries. Or if it was really teaching, you know, a six-year-old how to tell time, it always came from from who I am. So I would say to, you know, young people struggling with all these different aspects of who they are to really just recognize, you know, what is that driving force that is inspiring you to think about all these different ways of living and ways of being able to express that identity, but to not, you know, be weary or worried about the fact that you might have 
very different hobbies and very different passions and very different commitments. Um, and that it, it, it still is just who you are. Like don't have an identity crisis at 25, which I did have. <laughs> so did I. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of, you know, I think again, we put so much pressure on ourselves to find ourselves these days, especially with social media and having to represent this brand of who we are. Like this is who we are. I know. And it's like, you never really know, just like know why you're doing what you're doing. Know, you know, what again is that, that thing inside you, that North star that, you know, kind of, I call it the happiness GPS that's, that's driving you. And then just ask yourself, does this make me feel good? Or does this make me feel bad? Does this make me expand or contract, you know? And and then if you just keep asking yourself on a moment to moment basis, then you'll be guided in the right way, whether it is working in nightlife or working as a teacher, it's all okay. You know, (laughs) it's all okay. (laughs) I, I mean, I, I, I love your advice purely because you did have such a I guess, different, um, different endeavors or different passions and interests. And, and, you know, and I think so many of us can get so carried away by, or just so almost upset with ourselves around why are we focusing on this area and not this one? Or why aren't we focused on our studies or, or on our careers and we're focused on our love life at this moment in time? You know, I think, I think it's just having that thing of it's okay Mm -hmm. is so powerful. I love that. Okay. Great. So look, I want to dive a bit deeper into your thesis and then how that's now translated into Catalyst Creative and what you're doing there. Sure. So as I said, seven years ago, the intention with Catalyst Creative was to design these experiences in downtown Las Vegas. So what I really wanted to do is I wanted to take some of these conferences, these very premier expensive conferences like TED, Mm -hmm. uh, and really democratize that inspiration and bring speakers that would be going to TED and going to these, you know, very exclusive experiences and allow for them to come for free to downtown Vegas. So there were all these people moving to downtown who lived in Vegas. Um, and Vegas is the 50th worst education system in the country. So that means it's the worst. Um, and you know, I, I really felt that there was an opportunity for, and this was Tony as well, that for all of those who lived in Vegas, they didn't get the same opportunities that maybe if you lived in New York in terms of just meeting these premier speakers and entrepreneurs and VCs. Um, and so, you know, I, Tony and I, and, um, my, a few of my, my best friend as well started the company with me, Robert. Um, we decided to create these experiences where we would bring 50 thought leaders from all over the world to come to downtown Vegas for three days, uh, and speak for free and give workshops for free and really just give back for those three days. And we just did the first one. It was very simple. It was, you know, but we had, you know, the executive producer of Batman was there, a Ted prize winner was there, you know, all these marketing different, all these very random different people were there. Um, and it ended up, they just, it transformed their lives. Um, it really, they left, you know, totally inspired by this random weird place they'd never have heard of downtown Vegas. They left with, you know, completely unbreakable bonds. Um, the testimonials I was receiving were just crazy. Like this transformed my entire life. I'm leaving my job or I, you know, I met my significant other just from this one event. And so what ended up happening was they shared on social media and it wasn't a social media campaign. It wasn't a strategy. Again, there, there was, it was barely Instagram, but they just shared because they were so passionate about the experience and what it did for them over these three days, you know, giving back to this community, but also getting to know each other in such a meaningful way that 
it blew up. And all these people started writing to me saying, how do I come to this event? And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, we're going to start doing these monthly. And then monthly, more and more people wanted to come and we didn't want to, you know, go over 50 people. So then we started doing twice a month. So twice a month, every month, we would have 50 thought leaders, entrepreneurs, you know, executives from all across industries to come to downtown Vegas for three days, give back, learn about each other and learn about themselves in the process. And it was really using that engagement framework. It was thinking about how can we create an experience where their personal values and beliefs align not only with downtown Vegas, again, very odd place, but also with each other. And how can they have an experience that's not just about what they do, but who they are. And so we ended up again creating, we brought about 2000 people um, over two and a half years and 250 free talks, major TED talks, major, you know, executive CEOs that would give talks in construction trailers in downtown for free to the public. Uh, And from that, all these different brands were attendees. And so they would come and they'd be like, this feels different. Like, how do you, you know, create an experience for us? Like, this feels different. How do you create a brand for us? How do you create a social media campaign for us? Um, And using kind of that that secret sauce, that magic seventh level sauce. Um, And so we just really kind of started to apply that, you know, understanding of engagement to different brands and to different brand properties, you know, whether it was an event or it was a design branded campaign or it was social media, we were always thinking, how do we inspire and educate? How do we create, call it ROI, ripple of impact, not just return on investment. Um, So we've done that for seven years with all different brands. Again, I was like Fortune 100 companies to startups, nonprofits, like two person companies and like 200,000 person companies. Um, And now it's really about, it's been seven years, how do we take that secret sauce and share it with the rest of the world? It's not just about, you know, us selling fish, but teaching a man, woman how to fish. Like, how do we use this seventh level engagement framework, change the way everyone's thinking about engaging things, think, think of, thinking about marketing, thinking about branding, thinking about experiential versus just doing the services. So that's kind of our next phase is getting this seventh level engagement framework out to as many human beings as possible so that they can think about connection differently. Mm. I I find it absolutely fascinating what you've done and how it's just, I feel like it's just flowed on, you know, and it's just a natural progression to what you're doing now. Talk to us a little bit about the early challenges of starting the business. So obviously the event was going amazing. You've got these speakers, the public is loving it, amazing reviews. Business is difficult. You know, what What <laughs> were some of the early challenges you faced? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's so funny too because I think – entrepreneurs have these rose-colored glasses. Mm. It's like when you break up with someone, you're like, they were amazing. (laughs) They were just, I miss them. And it's like, I would like going back to that first year, I'm like, no, thank you. I'm good. (laughs) Um, So, you know, starting the business, there was quite a few challenges. The first challenge was I, you know, was in events and marketing, but I never really thought about starting a business. I met Tony at a conference, flew to Vegas. This is a longer story, but he didn't remember inviting me. It was very embarrassing. He like, I went to hug him and he backed away. Yeah, he's very shy. It's a whole story. Anyway, so he asked me what I wanted to do with my life prior to starting the company. Um, And I said, like, I want to create these experiences that inspire, engage, and educate. And he was like, do it here. And I'm like, no, I'm in New York. And then he's like, yeah. So anyway, I ended up creating a business plan. I'm, I'm, you know, using quotes. Um, 
with Sharpie markers and a notebook. And that was how I proposed what I wanted to do to him, you know, with him. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is the idea. And he's like, okay. Um, so I took the smallest amount of money possible because I didn't have a business plan. And I wanted to ensure that I, you know, could actually create a sustainable business, not just an idea. Um, and I used that as an opportunity and a stepping stone for the first six months. What was difficult in that process was actually turning it into a sustainable business, not just a one client, you know, trick pony, not just an idea, not just a concept. So turning that small seed funding into a business plan, you know, into a PL, into determining, you know, how can this last seven years? So that was very, very hard. Um, but also in that process, I ended up hiring people, you know, I, I had to just kind of find people very quickly. And I ended up hiring people more so to fill holes than were the right culture fits. Um, and just because they were kind of around and I ended up having a really difficult situation with one employee early on, um, that, you know, ended up not being the right fit and, and doing some things for the organization that weren't really the right fit either. Um, and ended up transitioning and post that experience, that was extremely difficult because I, you know, we were in similar social circles and I was really young and the, I received the best advice. You know, the, the person was, kind of talking to a bunch of people about things that really weren't true. And, and the advice that I received was, um, never defend yourself against a lie or you become a part of it. And, you know, you don't need the people that, you know, this person's talking to, to like you, you need them to respect you. So when they ask you what happened, don't tell them because it's none of their business. And, you know, you can talk all about the positives that are happening within your organization, but, you know, leave all of that gossip behind. Like that's not something that is going to serve you. And that in my first year of starting this company, it all kind of happened very quickly was the best advice I could possibly give anyone. And, you know, you're going to hire the wrong people. Things are going to happen. You know, you're going to have clients that might be frustrated in the beginning. You, you don't really even know what you're doing in the beginning. You're just trying to build the car as you sell it. Um, so it's really about identifying people that are not only the right fits for the business, but really are the right fits for you as a person are going to help you be your best self. Uh, and, and, you know, if something doesn't work out, really staying true to the business and not letting it, you know, kind of emotionally tear you down or and especially I was 26 years old. So I think I could have easily um, been caught up in the drama and I, I wasn't. So that was a huge learning for me and, and definitely a difficult situation mm -hmm. in the beginning. I so appreciate you sharing that with us. I think that so many times, as we said at the start, you know, people just see founders or they see companies. I mean, yours is a phenomenal what it's become today and they see the awards and they think, how did this person do it? Like it must have just been smooth sailing and it's it's usually not the case. No. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that with us. What? How can we, just on the end note there, you you mentioned not getting caught up in the drama. How How can we do that? You know, how can we ground ourselves and go, let's let's just stay grounded and not worry about the rest? Yeah. So mm. I, you know, three, I don't, I actually haven't talked really about this um, often. Not many people know this, but th uh, about three years ago, I was diagnosed with diabetes out of nowhere. It was called, it's type 1.5. It's this like weird diabetes that's popping up more. Um, it's not in my family. It was like a t routine blood test, totally out of nowhere. Um, and what that did was it really made me, you know, create boundaries around what was serving me and what was, you know, you know, bettering my life, um, and what was taking away from my life. So I found that social media for me personally, again, it's so funny because 
we are a branding and marketing firm. So obviously social media is important for brands. Um, and it's, you know, everyone, when I say like, I'm not on, I'm not on Instagram and I'm not on Facebook. Like I haven't used, I think I posted once on Instagram for two years and I haven't had the app for two years on my phone at all. Same thing with Facebook, no app on my phone. So I use Instagram.com. People are like, what is that? I'm like, it's like Google.com. I go on Instagram.com. I seek and search what I'm looking for. And then I get off. There's no triggers. There's no, you know, I'm not caught in the spiral of looking at, you know, my friends, friends, husbands, sisters, dogs, mailmen's Instagram for three hours. Um, and I really created space around, you know, again, what felt good, what made me expand versus contract and, and LinkedIn and makes me feel good. You know, that's a different type of social platform for me specifically. But I would just say, you know, to be really intentional with, again, the why. So if you're on Instagram and you get lost in for a few hours in this kind of spiral of looking at other people's lives and comparing yourself to their highlight reels and letting it take away from you, I call it the mini feet of anxiety, like you're eating junk, you know, and it makes you sick. And so if all you're doing all day long is doing that, you're going to naturally create drama for yourself because you're not creating intention with the why, you know, if you're on Instagram because you want to keep up with your family and friends, or you want to be inspired by people's beautiful photos, or, you know, if, if you feel good about the reason why you're using such tools, then awesome. But like have intention with your time and attention on how you're spending that because it's your biggest resource. It's not necessarily money. Right now, time is our biggest resource. So I would say, you know, not getting involved in the drama is more like not getting involved in your own drama of your own making. Like, you know, take a minute and be like, why am I freaking out right now? Because this person is on this crazy vacation. Like, why am I saying like, why can't I do that? And why can't I be there? Like, what is that bringing up for you that you can learn about yourself in that process? And like, when you take a minute and slow down for me, I'm not the best at creating, you know, moderation. I'm more extreme. (laughs) So my way of slowing down is not being on those Mm. platforms. I know that's best for me, but for other people, you know, it's just taking a minute and being like, I need a break. I need to like talk kind of to myself on why, what this is bringing up for me. And then I can go back. But I think we're, we're mindlessly um, absorbing content without recognizing what it's actually doing to us. And I think we need to be more cognizant of that. A hundred percent. I actually, I could not agree more. I think so many times we find ourselves scrolling or looking at this person's profile, excuse me, or that person's profile. And it's just, And then three hours has gone and you're thinking, what am I doing? And it is being so mindful that that helps us to kind of gather ourselves and and, and stop, stop, stop what's not helping us. I really, yeah, I love that. Um, Okay. Very cool. So talk to us a little bit, little bit about this book that's coming out. I know it's all about the seven um, steps or stages Mm -hmm. and what challenges you faced writing the book? Yeah. So the seventh level is this, uh, this, these seven distinct levels of engagement, um, which they're called dis- disengagement, unsystematic engagement, frustrated engagement, structured dependent engagement, self-regulated interest, critical engagement, and then the top, the pinnacle, which is literate thinking. Very academic. So, yes. you know, the way, the tools we have, um, we have all free resources and I can share the link, kind of break those engagement levels out. We're like, what are you actually talking mm. about? And, and how do I know where a person 
person fits within this journey. But it's all, again, it's all building a customer journey. You know, how are you taking a passive consumer and turning them into an active participant? Um, and that's why the company is called Catalyst, is like catalyzing passive consumers to active. So it's that idea of, you know, when you're at one, disengagement, you're passive, passively consuming. But when you get to seven, you're actively making a decision in your own life, in the decision, in the choices that you're making, whether that is, again, who you follow, what you buy, what you share. And that's kind of the way that we want to work with companies is, is how do we get people, you know, in the, in the higher levels of engagement so that they're connecting from this intentional, meaningful place versus just like, okay, okay, I'll just scrolling keep consuming. Through. Yes, scrolling, scrolling, <laughs> scrolling. So, you know, I think for, for a book, what's been extremely difficult is, you know, this is a very academic approach to connection, attention, and marketing, sales, employee engagement, whatever. Again, I just say it's like connection. Um, and so taking that and turning that into a digestible way for someone to learn has taken quite some time. And, and the way that we've looked at it at Catalyst is it's really been a team effort in turning the seventh level into a brand. So, you know, we have a full website and we did a three-hour free course with HubSpot, but then we've written about 15 different blog posts. And then we did, you know, 10 different videos. And then we've I've given probably 15 different talks. And, you know, so we have all this content that's leading up to the book. So it's not like this book is in a silo where we're saying, okay, now you're going to read this random book about engagement. And it's like, why do you know about engagement? Who are you? And so we wanted to create context and we wanted to be able to showcase, you know, this is the work we've been doing for seven years because it's been our secret sauce. Not many people knew that we were using this. And now we want to share that with you. And this is the stepping stones into being able to do that. So I think that was one major, you know, task at hand is to create context and to create, you know, a brand around the book instead of just the book being the brand. Um, like the brand, the book is a tactic of a brand. Um, and then the second thing I would say is, you know, just gathering, I have so much to say about it and I'm so passionate about it is just distilling it into, um, you know, quick, easy to digest chapters that someone would be able to read. And then after reading, they're like, oh, I can apply this to my life. Like for me as a teacher, I always like to give information and insights that are actually applicable as opposed to, again, kind of saying like, and then I met this billionaire and then I started a company and now it's amazing and life was awesome. Where it's like, no, how does that apply to me? Like I'm 18 and I have five jobs or, you know, I'm a single mom and I have three kids or like, how can that, how can I take what you have done and apply it to my own life? And that's what we really, really wanted with this book is like, how can we take these lessons of engagement and how can you use it to engage your employees, to build your business? How can you use it to engage your customers? How can you use it to engage your significant other? You know, that's by default, just you end up being able to use it for your significant other. Um, but you know, that's what we really wanted to do is, is make it applicable. Mm. I absolutely love it. I think that making things applicable is so difficult in, in today's today's age of social media. So much is happening. Everyone's scrolling. Everyone's <laughs> trying to do things, yeah. and it's it's just so cool that very you're very thematical in the way you. It's, it's so cool to listen to it in the way you speak, the way you talk about it all. And I'm so excited to see you know what the end product is. Thank you. Amazing. Oh, Amanda, we could talk for <laughs> days. For I, sure. I know. I absolutely love it. I, I want to touch on a couple of things before we start to wrap up. Firstly, around a question which I love to ask, which is what has been your greatest failure to date? Mm. Interesting. My greatest failure to date. I would say that I think, you know, looking back on some of the things, again, I did early on with that employee and the way that, you know, as much as I was 
I feel really proud about the way that I handled it to the outside world. I feel like I was really scared and um, confused on how to handle it directly with the person. Um, and I think that now, again, seven years into the business, I would have handled it so differently and I would have felt confident to communicate differently. And I kind of hid behind, you know, lawyers and hid behind my, you know, my advisors and as opposed to really owning, you know, what was going on and saying like, this isn't cool and I'm not okay with this. And I, you know, I, I was talking to a musician and the musician was saying like, they don't think of failure. Like a musician is just like iterates and tries. And then it's like, oh, this note, it doesn't work. Now I'm gonna try a different note. And like, as they're writing and creating, like usually creatives, they, it's, it's not really about failure. It is about iteration. So, you know, I think that we're all about like failing forward and all these, you know, kind of, I think that I, because I'm so tough on myself, I've tried to not use that word as much for me because I think it would, I, I would kind of get wrapped up in it like, oh my God, I failed and now what, now what? So I think that more so it was, that was a really big lesson of, of what I think I could have done differently, but you know, I don't know if I would have ever done it differently because I didn't know any better. So, but it definitely taught me what to do differently in the future. And that would be my biggest failure, quote unquote. Mm. I love that. And I think that's what I love about failure, lessons, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I think it's everyone's almost so scared of the word, you yeah. know, we're like, oh, I don't want to <laughs> fail. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to step out of the line. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're all just lessons yeah. and they're things that we grow, learn from, we look back on them we go, if that didn't happen, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. Exactly. And I, so I really appreciate you sharing with that with us and we, we love to talk about this type of stuff on the show purely because it's so okay to fail. And it, I think just the, this idea of like, it's not even really a failure. It's yeah. just a lesson. It's just, it's just a learning. It's a stepping stone. And I mean, the amount of clients over the past seven years, the amount of proposals that we have sent out and the amount of no's, I mean, in order to get, like, you can say there was like failure every day yeah. where it's like, this is a no. Okay. What have we learned? Okay. Now how do we move forward? But that's the way that I've had to think is like, being an entrepreneur and building a sustainable business, raising a very little bit of money and then turning it into an actual company. You know, I haven't raised and raised and raised to survive. I raised a little and then now it's become sustainable. You know, that has really required me to think very quickly and be able to say, okay, I don't really have time to, you know, be dramatic again around the failure. It's just like, okay, what did I learn? How do I move forward? And I would say giving myself the space to feel what comes up when the failure is there. So that's separate. Like work harder on yourself than your business. Like I've had to do a lot of work separate from my business so I don't get in the way of the business because that could bring up something totally different from what's actually happening in the company that has to do with me. And I have to process my emotions outside of the organization so that I can show up as my best self within it. Mm. Oh, I could not agree more with that last point. I think just, yeah, I'm so on par with that. Just the idea of it is, they say that business is like a, the biggest personal development course we will ever do. Yes. <laughs> so I, I so appreciate that. Great. And then, and then just be before we start to, you know, wrap up, I want to try to a little bit about your angel investing. So you've done quite a bit of that. I've written here, she's a serial angel investor. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the key things you look for in founders when you're looking to invest? Yeah. So I, yeah, I probably invested in, and I advise, you know, close to 12 companies. Um, and I, I've really invested in a lot of people that I know and that I trust. So that has been, and same thing with advising, you know, I have looked for people first and then product, uh, so that I at least know, again, the type of integrity that that person has. And, and, you know, I think if, 
the person does have integrity, they can kind of go into different markets and they will find the right people to ensure success. So that's been something that's been really big for me. Um, and then the other thing I do look at again is like, why is this person getting into this business? Like, does it even make sense? Is it aligned with what they do believe in? Or is this something they're doing just to make money? Um, and then I generally have not been interested in those types of investments. I've, I've really wanted to, you know, kind of invest, put my money where, you know, these people's passions are and support them and show them like, I'm putting energy, money's like energy, but like putting a physical energy that man created, which is paper, you know, towards your passion and dedication and commitment um, because I believe in you. So that's really been something the, you know, the personal, well, you know, again, the alignment from the person to the product and then the integrity of the individual. Mm. Oh, I love it, Amanda. I we could talk for days. <laughs> I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the amazing work you've done and that you're doing over the last 10 years. I mean, Catalyst Creative has become an award-winning company. You've worked with Fortune from 100 companies, brands like Coke, Dell, Google, WeWork, all the way through to startups, as you mentioned. You know, you're an advisor to, to many, as you mentioned, smaller companies. You've done a TED Talk. You've been listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and you've written for many different publications also. Forbes, Entrepreneur, Business Insider, The Huffington Post. I could keep going. Wow. <laughs> Um, we just, it, it's so cool to see someone like yourself who's just going after what they believe in and making it happen and standing up and putting their hand up when, when they can, when you can and, and, and where necessary. And I think it really gives us all the courage to do the same. So we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. It made me so tired after you said all that. I'm like, oh my God, I did do all that. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I really so appreciate it. So many things. I know. I love it. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I love that. Great. So we're heading to our final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project. And that is, what is the value? of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Hmm. So one of my TEDx talks was about the three Ps. So it was about following your passion, uh, solving a problem in the world, and making a profit. So I think that, you know, the way that I have looked at passion, that seventh level, what, what is your value and belief that's driving you, you know, is that passion is your kind of fuel, that allows for you to feel like you're in alignment with what makes you, you. Um, and it's not necessarily a job and it's not necessarily a business. It's the fuel that's fueling the business. It's the gasoline, if you will, or whatever, electric cars, you know, it's the plug. Um, but then you need to be able to determine, okay, how does my passion fit into a bigger ecosystem? You know, how am I using that passion for pro productivity? You know, what is a problem I'm solving with that passion? Um, and how can I actually make money from that? What is the business that's aligned with that passion solving that problem? So I think that the first step is identifying what you're passionate about. And the, that value is everything because it's who you are and, and it feels incredible when you're doing it. It's, you know, it, again, it's just you being you, but then you can use that as a stepping stone for the next question. And the next question, which is if you're going to use that passion to spur a business, how are you doing that in a productive way that can create a sustainable life? So that would be my, my uh, answer around the three P's and, and passion. 
Amanda, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. That was amazing. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, Amanda Slavin, S-L-A-V-I-N.com. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, again, I'm obsessed. And then you can go to the dash seventh, spelt out seventh level.com as well. And then I have another website, but you'll find all that information on Amanda Slavin. So that's the best way. Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Amanda, it's been absolutely amazing. We so appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.